You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since Everybody, welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. So this week, uh, Will is under the weather, um, and uh, he was not able to record. Luckily, we have one more backup episode that we recorded a long time ago when we started doing this again together, and um, I have that ready to go, and uh, that's what we're going to put out this week. So uh, our apologies, we won't be able to get to any feedback this week, we won't be able to get to any this or that's or any of that normal fun, but you'll still get an episode and hear us talk about a film that I think uh, a lot of people probably haven't seen and uh, should maybe check out. So the film we are talking about here is Pastoral, To Die in the Country, uh, from 1974, directed by Shuji Terayama. And like I said, we recorded this a long time ago. Um, Some of the audio might be a little dodgy, um, but we hope you enjoy this uh this review um <laughs> i mean there's an actor in this uh review named mr poon uh, <laughs> uh i don't know if i talked about that during the review or not because it's been so long since we actually talked about the film but anyway we hope you enjoy mr poon in pastoral to die in the country and uh we will see you again next week when we are back to talk about a special day thank you
All right, everybody, welcome back. We're going to start talking about a little film from 1974 called Pastoral to Die in the Country. Now, I have to ask, uh, so we'll pick this one, and uh, I think I know why, because I've known Will for a long time, um, mm-hmm. and probably some of our listeners who have listened to the show for a long time may be able to figure out why he picked this, but... Uh, this is directed by Shuji 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 Terry Teriyama. Yeah, Shuji Teriyama. Yeah, who didn't direct a whole lot of stuff and died at forty-seven. He was he was pretty young when he died. Uh, I think, he's, I think there's, a, <laughs> there's, a, there's all kinds of strange noises like chainsaws and dogs growling at Will's place. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a Shuji Teriyama movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on over there. <laughs> there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. But anyway. Um, so this film, um, I, I so I just need to ask you. Uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Teriyama here in a minute and some of his history. Um, but what brought you to this film? Because this is uh, this is one of those curiosities for me. Sometimes when we pick movies, sometimes you know, Champagne and Bullets, we know why we picked it, right? Yes. Expect to Die, we know why we pick it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's some films where you just say, "Okay, I get it," but. Every now and then you'll come across one and you'll be like, whoa, what's uh, what's going on? So uh, see if you can enlighten us a little bit. All right. So um, I'm sure you, of all people, would know or, or could kind of cobble together some reasons. So Fellini and Jodorowsky are two filmmakers I, I adore. Yeah. Um, I'm a very sentimental person. Um, and I was on Instagram. There's a couple of really cool accounts I follow. They do kind of photo essay stuff through the medium. Mm-hmm. And I had seen a still from this film and the synopsis, which is a young boy's coming of age tale set in a strange carnivalesque village becomes the recreation of a memory that the director has 20 years later. So I saw a still, I saw that write up and I thought I have to see this immediately. Uh-huh. Sometimes that happens. You know, we've, we've spoken about that. We've both picked films, probably more me than you, I, if I'm being honest with myself, you know, on a wing and a prayer of a, a still I've discovered online. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd say you, of the stills, you are more prone to picking films off of a still than I am. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Not that, not that that's and a bad thing. Me, that, can, that can be a great thing, right? I no, mean, no, no, no. Yeah. No, listen, it's it's a boomer bust kind of thing, right? It's oh yeah. You know, you fall in love with thirty seconds of footage of a player and you draft them in the first round and <laughs> you see what happens to use a little sports talk. But for me, I think um to do a deeper dive, being someone who is interested in how people use the medium to work through some things, uh, some of the big stuff like memory, time perception of memory and time, uh, you know, childhood, um, coming of age, all these things through the lens of someone who was, I think, was more influential than successful, Mm. right? I I wouldn't pretend to be a Shuji Teriyama expert. Um, If I'm being completely honest, I had been, when I'd seen the name, I thought it was someone else. And now, I, you know, True to 
suburban dad life, I didn't get a chance to dive into who I had thought it was. But um, when I looked, I thought, oh, gee, I don't know Teriyama like I thought I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was someone we had covered a couple films of in the past. But uh, in saying that, you know, I just thought Teriyama was the kind of filmmaker and artist, you know, not to. Oh, come on now. <laughs> Yeah. He's an artist. Yeah. Um, yeah. Strong opinion from the Yeah, listen. Man. Yeah, for real. Um, doesn't have to just stay. He's, he's not going to go in the neat box you want him to. Yeah. Um, but he, he was a poet. I mean, he was a, a guy who worked in a lot of experimental stuff, TV. You know, late 60s, early 70s was a really exciting time. And I just thought, you know what? Even if this thing is a little bit of a disaster, um, I felt like there would be enough to kind of chew on. And let's face it, at this day and age, I don't get to watch a lot of um, artistic kind of experimental stuff, you know, with, for better or worse, you know, the kids, I'm showing them stuff like, you know, Rocky Four or uh, Saving Private Ryan, stuff that, you know, is, it's it's cinema that's accessible for them at this age, right? Sure. You know, 13 and 11, so. Sure. In in to make a short answer long, that's why. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, the things I found out about him, I thought, okay, well, I've never seen any films from this guy. I watched this movie uh, without looking at any background into the director mm-hmm. or anything. I really try not to. Uh, there was a thread on Facebook about this. I think uh, Bryn put it up about how he has a hard time putting his phone down when he watches movies, and I at home, and I I always make sure I don't because it's. If it's there, I will pick it up. So yes. I always kind of put it in another room or something if I'm going to watch a film, especially if I'm going to watch something that I'm going to talk about or, uh, you know, or watch something with the kids or whatever. And um, mm-hmm. so I didn't read anything about him, nothing about it and stuff. And I was like, well, I've never seen anything from this guy. Clearly, after seeing this film, uh, if I would have seen anything from him, I would have remembered it. And then I went through his filmography and I have seen something that he's done. I saw The Boxer. I went through a bit of a Bunta Sugarawa Sugarawa yes. uh, phase for a little while when I was younger, and uh, came across the Boxer, which is a bit of a. It's a little bit like Rocky in some ways, a little bit like Rocky Four, oddly, uh, since you mentioned that. <laughs> and it's and it's it's definitely a more accessible film. Yes, yes, uh, it's not bad. It's pretty good, um, and I would recommend people check it out. But. Uh, I had never seen anything else from this gentleman, and he mostly, like you said, he's more of an art film guy. He maybe only directed like three or four, or five maybe feature films, and uh, mostly did shorts. And he wrote a lot of stuff and stuff. He's just a creative type. And again, he was only forty-seven when he passed away. Uh, nephrotic syndrome, nephrotic. I think it's a kidney disease, I believe. And yeah. so you know, uh, he was young when he died. No kids, no nothing like that. So all he's got left really to kind of talk about him is his work. And it seems like uh, he's still celebrated in Japan. So it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, sometimes we come across these filmmakers who, um, uh, again, I'm not going to claim, just because I've seen The Boxer, I'm not going to claim I've seen a bunch of Teriyama stuff and I'm averse in Teriyama material. Uh, that was just an accident. <laughs> uh, that was purely a Bunta uh, situation. <laughs> <laughs> because you know <laughs> with a name like bunta you know you can't you can't uh, you can't knock me for that um but uh i had seen one but i've not seen anything else he's ever done uh other than this now so i've seen two of his films now uh but i will say this the boxer is nothing like this film no um so i'll get into it a little bit here um and talk about the film itself uh fired it up 
And immediately, I started getting vibes. And I mean vibes, like hard vibes, like uh, El Topo and Santa Sangre. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yes. so these guys are around, coming out uh, and hitting avant-garde cinema around the same time. So I can't say one influenced the other more. Um, I would just say they were probably two peas of a pod uh, on different uh, coastlines, maybe, or potentially just maybe uh, unified in spirit when it comes to visuals and storytelling. And uh, I didn't quite understand what was going on really at first. I, the, the, so th the words I have used to describe this film to friends uh, since I've been talking about it for the last four or five days uh, has kind of been challenging. Uh, that's, mm -hmm. that's one word to put out there. I, I do think it's entertaining, but I do also think that this is a film that you have to focus on as well it's not a it's not a uh, it's not a fast and furious movie right i mean it's it's no it's a it's a film that's saying something but you might i i don't think it's hidden what he's saying but you might have to dig a little bit you might have to do a little bit of work and we should say that much like um vin diesel <laughs> Shuji Teriyama is big on family, yeah. or at least, yeah. Maybe. Come on now, he is big on family. <laughs> yeah. like, maybe, maybe too close with family in uh, some aspects. Well, so. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, just to piggyback on what you were saying there, I think this is the kind of film that, or, or filmmaker and film that isn't always interested in giving you an accessible plot and. And come on now, I'm going to have to go. This is getting to be too much. Yeah. Seriously. Way too critical no, of pastoral. I, yeah, I can have my opinion. It's, film is art. Art is subjective. Yeah. Um, but I think Teriyama is one of those filmmakers. And I think, you know, Lynch and there's a lot of other filmmakers whose work can be interpreted. Yes. That sometimes it's not so much the filmmaker's interest to do film in a very conventional way. More so it's therapy for them and a way for them to work through some things and there will be references that will go oh, oh that means this or we can pontificate over what this means or that means but it's something that's very intimate to Teriyama or the filmmaker uh, for example that's just them working through something very specific to them a trigger for them an emotional moment to them right that the, the color doesn't necessarily mean something but that's the great thing about film we can yeah. wax on and on about it. Right. Right. And and, and it reminds me of Jodorowsky films because his films are all slightly uh, autobiographical, uh, fantastical, yes. and Fellini as well. You know, we should say that. Oh, you yeah. did say Fellini in the opening here. And, Very And much. we should mention Fellini as well. His, his stuff's got a bit more whimsy to it and a bit more... It's a bit more... Uh, the way I always think of Fellini films, I always think of them as kind of like blushing nostalgia. They're like this... Uh, yes. This reliving of moments... Uh, wonderfully uh, and kind of innocently and kind of sweetly, whereas uh, Jodorowsky is a little bit more terrifying or maybe a little bit more um, direct anyway in some of his imagery, uh, certainly some shocking stuff in some of his stuff and and yep. maybe a bit too harsh for some. This is kind of a mix of both uh, is the best way I can kind of describe this film. Um, it, it's, it's, it's definitely an art film. And uh, you pick up on that pretty quick. Um, but there are so many great images uh, in this movie. I can see why you possibly picked it just because of an image or still, because there are a lot of moments in here 
where the framing and the lighting and everything. I mean, there's just stuff you're never going to forget. Uh, it's 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 very it's very gorgeous and 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 yet in some ways very gaudy. There's a really weird thing that he does at the carnival where he shoots through this kind of prismatic filter of some yes. sort. This kind of red, uh, yellow, and maybe maybe it's blue or green. I can't I can't really tell, but it, it's it's a really weird idea to shoot this carnival stuff. And when the carnival stuff really kicks in, that's when you really start to feel the Jodorowsky stuff because obviously, you know, I always think of Santa Sangre or, you know, uh, just he, he always reminds me for some reason of carnival life in some way. Yes. And um, so there, there's a little bit here. And I talked about it a little while ago. There's, there's a little bit of uh, – so the film is essentially a coming-of-age story and potentially, possibly – um, Teriyama's biographical take on his life. I don't know this for a fact. Um, I didn't read far enough into his bio to find out, but it certainly feels kind of raw and intimate. Uh, and at some point in the movie, it's not a spoiler, I don't think, to talk about this, but at some point in the movie, it breaks into modern day. It's very abrupt and very strange at first, and you're really kind of caught off guard. And you realize that he's... Teriyama's kind of avatar here is kind of working through some things and making a movie about his youth and remembering his youth, but he's trying to process maybe his relationship with his mother. Um, we're trying to process his relationship with his mother. She's certainly overprotective, but there is a a hint maybe, and and maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe I'm just a you know a pervert. I don't know, but no, no, I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, there is certain. Uh... Uh, an assessment. He tries to have an honest assessment at, at humanity and sexuality and right. sort of the intersection intersection of relationships and well, certainly, sexuality. I think all kids, you know, maybe the first woman <clears throat> they're going to see nude, right, is going to be their mother. So it's going to yeah. affect them. And I'm going, and I'm coming from the male side of this argument. Uh, I mean, you would argue the first man they're going to see nude is going to be their father. So mm-hmm. uh, you can go at it either way, and uh, females the same thing. So. Um, clearly there's something there. I mean, it's not, it's not overt and it's not in your face, but certainly there's this overprotective, uh, slightly, and again, maybe it's Japanese culture or something, but I, I don't know because by the time I was the age of, uh, Terry Yama's avatar here, I was certainly not sleeping with my mother anymore. Um, but, um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. I mean, you know, I, I know when I got to be a teenager, my mom would sometimes take a nap and I wouldn't be too far away. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything. No. But there's suggestiveness here in some of the images, right? Maybe a slightly open uh, robe or a uh, no, nothing nothing overt. Again, like I say, nothing that's going to make you think, oh, but it's certainly it's, there. Yeah, it's a JOI video. Yeah. <laughs> it's ever so subtle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yes, unlike those. Um, so, you know, there's these little moments like that. And there's clearly, too, what the filmmaker's kind of working through is potentially this sort of... So this is really hard to kind of discuss in a weird way uh, for me. I don't know why, because it's kind of just hard for me to put it in words. But it's it's both this... I guess it's just childhood in general because we all have good childhood memories and bad childhood memories. I mean, there's there's the things we look back on fondly and there's the things we look back on and think, Jesus, I never want that to happen to me again or my kids or anybody in my life. 
even if you had a golden childhood, I'm sure there's something that happened uh, where you're like, Jesus, that terrified me. I have, I have no interest in that ever happening again. And there's a lot of comments here on time and how time affects everything and what does time mean. And again, it gets into that human construct conversation of time and how we use it, how it's used against us how it structures our lives, how so many people don't want it to structure your life, but you have no choice. It's it's really deep material. And I think for some folks, they're going to watch this film if they uh, listen to this uh, conversation about it. They're going to watch this film, and then they're going to think to themselves, what in the hell is going on? Because it's not a weird movie, but it's certainly... It certainly has some unaccessible stuff, I think, for some folks. I think it's going to be unaccessible. I think the people, you heard the filmmakers we mentioned, Jodorowsky and uh, Fellini. So if you can get behind that, then I think you can jump right into this. Uh, if that is not your cup of tea, I think you, you might struggle with this. I think you would probably agree with that, maybe. <laughs> I would. I think you're right on. Yeah. Okay. I just I want to make sure because I I, I really enjoyed it. I like this film a lot. Uh, I really I was touched by it. I also thought it was gorgeous. It's very cinematic. Um, it's very pretty. Uh, I would be lying to you if I didn't think sometimes. Come on, let's move. Let's move along. Okay. Of course. Um, but I feel that way about Jodorowsky films, and I feel that way about <laughs> Fellini films too. That that that's that doesn't mean the film's bad. It just means. You know, it's it's just that kind of, I, I don't know any movie where I don't at some point think, how much longer do we got this? Because <laughs> I'm always trying to find something else. But um, it certainly, it, it wasn't a struggle to get through. I watched it in one setting. But I, I can tell you that when I got done with it, I had this kind of profound thought process of, you know, do we do we feel ashamed sometimes of the childhoods we have of the, of the things we've done once we've reached adulthood, maybe. Cause I'm never really clear what he's saying here. He, he seems to, there's a one point where he has a conversation with his younger self, his film younger self. And this is where it's going to get kind of yes. kinky for you. Those of you listening and they're talking about killing the mother and, or eliminating her in some way. And if she's not in the past, then she can't bother him in the future. Um, and I don't want to talk about the last image of the last image of this film is striking. I love it. It's great. But yeah, um, there's certainly these moments <clears throat> that left me confused a little bit. Um, clearly, this character is also it's a sexual awa sexual awakening film. Um, yes, we, we get female based rape in here, which is not something we really talk about that much on the show. It's usually the male always doing the rape here but this and this it's not really rape well i guess it is i mean technically it is right i mean she takes advantage of him yeah i think yeah and i mean again how much is this you know and of course we're we're going to tread lightly here because we're not we're, we're certainly not trying to be tone deaf to the subject sure but because the film is very much about memory and perception of past events you have to wonder how much is he uh, processing this or portraying this as a perception of events versus how it really happened or, yeah. Yeah. you know, was he just overwhelmed at the sexual aggression? I, I, who knows? I mean, yeah. you know, again, I'm trying to tread lightly on this because well, obviously the embellishment of the memory, maybe, <clears throat> I mean, I'm certain right. there's certain things me and you both remember about our childhoods that we probably 
remember completely incorrectly, but we probably in our heads think that's exactly what happened. I know that's what happened. I was there, but we've probably oh, yeah. alt- altered it at some point in our life and made it b- both a good or a bad memory. We've made it oh. somehow more different, right? 100%. And I think that's one of the most fascinating things about this film. And one of the most fascinating things that, or one of the most compelling things that I felt looking at this film or, or um, wanting to choose this film for the show, because as a conventional film, obviously there's going to be some drawbacks and this, this film isn't for everyone, No, but I think (laughs) there's enough of an essay there through the film medium to say just what you said, that the, some of our memories, we've brightened the colors. We've, we've kind of changed the the, the players a little bit Um, and, and not intentionally, you know, is it a subconscious thing emotionally to cope, to make ourselves feel better, to drive ourselves, to comfort us? I mean, I just think that's a fascinating subject. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt that uh, there's probably certain memories that I know personally that I have processed differently over time and have probably chosen the, uh, not not for lack of a better term, but maybe the warm and fuzzy memory certainly over Mm -hmm. the reality of what it was. Um, But again, there's also this kind of magic of being a kid where you kind of over, you kind of overlook the kind of turmoil sometimes that's in the background of maybe your parents fighting or maybe your parents having issues. Uh, You know, for me, you know, I, I can remember, I have some good memories of my father before he became a full blown alcoholic, but uh, I can remember him drinking around me and stuff and things not being that bad, but maybe they were worse than I thought they were. I just chose to over, you know, kids have that power, right? We have that ability when we're children to kind of look past the negativity a little bit more. I think when we get older, we tend to dwell on that a little bit more. We want everything to be perfect. And unfortunately, that's just not the way the world works. And I think this movie is addressing some of that. I think it's clearly a film he made this kind of young, so I, I, you know, I think that it's clearly a film where he's processing the life cycle itself, uh, time and its limitations, past relationships, and how they affect us and how we move forward through them. Um, again, if that sounds kind of heady, uh, you might not enjoy this movie. I mean, it's certainly not, it's certainly not a lot of action and stuff. There is violence here. There is a little bit of a horror element with a very strange and uh, bizarre baby. Uh, yeah, it's kind of Lynchian in a weird way. Not not Very full much. blown Eraserhead or anything. That's that's kind of like next level, but certainly uh, almost it's alive, like in a weird way. Uh, and there's some 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 stuff there about birthmarks and curses and and stuff like that. And I didn't I didn't really understand all that. But this is the kind of movie that I would revisit probably like every three or four or five years. Uh, like a Jodorowsky film and probably get something new out of it every time I watch it because it's kind of these pastiches of uh, these little kind of vignettes in some way of a story that he's telling of this kind of up-and-coming kid uh, or a kid going through, um, you know, young adulthood into adulthood and possibly midlife crisis. I mean, at least for the Avatar filmmaker that's in the film, I don't think uh, Teriyama was at that age, but maybe he was. Maybe maybe he was processing things, uh, depression stuff. I know he lost his dad in the war, so yep. I don't know. Maybe there was some stuff going on there, but this is that kind of movie. This is the kind of movie that 
you probably, if you used to sit in a room and watch it with friends, uh, a bunch of like-minded friends who are very adventurous film-wise, uh, you're probably going to have lots of conversations about childhood and death and midlife and your parents and and all these things. So if that if that doesn't sound like your again cup of tea, <laughs> you might you know again it's not a Matrix movie, it's not a Matrix sequel, so you're not going to get that out of it. But I think it I, I found it quite profound. I I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, as you know, I like these kind of things, though. And um, I had a good time with it. I really did. And I think uh, people should check it out. That's that, I, that. I'm leading up to this end of this talking about it by saying it's difficult, it's challenging, might not be your cup of tea, but I think you should check it out. I still think yeah. folks should watch it. So that's I, all, that's all yeah, I got. I'm, gl- I'm glad you, you dug it. And I think that's one of the things I've always loved about you and and why I think not to, you know, just write you a love letter on air here, but why I've always loved doing this with you because we're, to me, we're such a great Venn diagram because there are some things that intersect wonderfully that we both just naturally gravitate to. And then there's stuff that neither one would maybe naturally gravitate towards, but the other has enough of the same sensibility or love of film to expose the other two. So, and I love that this kind of worked for you, uh, at least in some regard, right? Or, and, yeah. you know, it sounds like you, you know, generally quite oh, favorable. I, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was great. I really yeah. did. I mean, no. I don't know. I don't think it's a masterpiece, at no, least not on a first-time viewing. But uh, I could see myself, you know, telling people to check it out. Like I have, uh, you know, Holy Mountain or something like that over the years. Yeah, I mean, this isn't as... Um as showy as Holy Mountain, it's not as um, emotionally intimate, maybe. But I think there's there's certainly a lot to chew on. The, the scope maybe isn't as big as that, but oh, yeah, yeah no, I, I think, think Holy Mountain it, maybe maybe <laughs> that's the Lawrence of Arabia sometimes of, of, of these kind films. of uh, <laughs> avant garde idea movies. Yeah, <laughs> but you're right, it is. And I knew. See, you'd, you'd said to me this was re- very reminiscent of a certain filmmaker, and I knew you didn't say who it was. I knew it was going to be Giotto and Fellini, like right away. Yeah, right away, because I knew that's the same vibe I got. You know, and I don't want to forget to say this, but you know who I feel like having seen this, um, I feel like really is a more sort of industrial, kind of punky industrial son of him would be someone like Shinya Sukamoto. Oh yeah. Like Tetsuo, Damn. the Iron Man, and Snake of June, and stuff like that. Just yeah. the way he plays with editing, yeah. and again, those are that's a challenging filmmaker, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and he's not for everybody, but if 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 you get him, uh, it's it's almost unexplainable. Like, I mean, there's people who think he's a, a genius, and there's people who think he's a complete hack. Yeah, but he's he's avant garde, so it, you're gonna get you're gonna have a reaction one way or another, which is I think a positive thing. I think so. And no, there's some people that would just dismiss this. Like, I'm not sure this would work for Paul Taggart <laughs> or like certain people, you know, certain people. just uh, poor, poor Paul. Every, every, poor, yeah, I love Paul to death, but he's, he, yeah, you know, he loves his, uh, he loves his action films and he certainly, you know, as something he can dig, but if there's in his eyes an air of pretension he just he wants (laughs) no part and i can't wait for the one sentence review (laughs) like it's almost like the zom two rubbish (laughs) rubbish yeah exactly exactly i would not recommend it to paul no paul if you're listening if you're still listening to the show after all these years which i believe you are 
this is not a movie for you, sir. No. <laughs> no. As much as you love Asian cinema, yeah. um, I wouldn't recommend this, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, that's the way it goes. Um, I want to just give kudos to Japan here. Obvious statement, but just looking at this film and kind of taking a step back and thinking about stuff like Funeral Parade of Roses, uh, which we covered many moons ago and thankfully has since gotten a Blu-ray release, yeah. a proper Blu-ray release. Um, I, I just, I love that they've always seemed to cultivate their artistic communities in a way that, you know, they really allowed them to push their boundaries and express themselves and, and give us pieces of art like this that um, allows us to ask questions and kind of, you know, look at ourselves. And I don't I'm interested in a big <laughs> pretentious review, but I just, yeah, it's Japan has had, it has a good history of that. And a guy like this, um, Shuji Chariyama, it's, it's nice to see him have the freedom to do what he is and, and have it accessible. This was on movie recently. I know there's been a retrospective at the Tate. So I know, you know, they've tended to take care of their new wave filmmakers, at least in uh, art from an archival person, archival, 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 Perspective, Ar archival, I would say. Yeah, um, yeah unless they say it yeah, unless they say it different in Canada, which is possible. And we do say <laughs> archiving in terms of archiving of their yeah. art. So, uh -huh. I, so I looked to see. I think this had a Blu-ray release at some point, uh, but I think it was overseas. I don't think this has ever been released in America. Uh, I think it has, like you said, I think it's been on streaming North America. Yep. Uh, but we should say also, I, I think you should, you know, because people listen to podcasts, they want to watch. Potentially, they want to watch movies that we, they hear people talk about. You're going to have to dig for this one. I, I, I don't know if there's a YouTube copy out there. There might be. I didn't dig around too far, but you're going to have to dig a little bit. It's not, uh, it's not easily accessible right now. No, nope, no, it sure ain't. I love a lot of the imagery in this. It feels very dreamy. It feels very nightmare -y. Some of it doesn't always make sense, but I think it works on a very visceral level. Yeah. The way he plays with sound and visuals, like the, the cloaked black figures uh with the eye patches and i gotta say that's on the internet archive so there you go well there you go now how about that um so you can check it out on the internet archive you can thank sammy later mm -hmm. venmo money to sammy the sammy fund <laughs> no no money this is, amazing. this is art we share we share art we don't, yes, don't want any money very true yes very true um you can Venmo them five bucks though. <laughs> no. Those those minks don't pay for themselves. Baby. Yeah. yeah, these silk um, socks, you know, they don't they don't come socks, cheap. Man. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. But no, good on you for finding that, man. That's cool. Um, so the visualness, the the eye patches. Now, eye patches have been woven into <laughs> yeah. our show and yeah. the lore of our show. Yeah. This, uh, you know, this might be the most eye patches on screen at a single time we've had on our show. Uh, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I think in, at one time, yes. At one time, there's probably a dozen or so eye patch wielding women. Yes. Which is very so. strange. I, I really never quite understood that. It's almost Shakespearean, maybe, maybe Macbeth like or something. I don't know. I don't know what he's it, doing. It felt it. It yeah. felt it. I don't know what he's doing there. I don't know what that, I mean, other than to move the story forward, they kind of come in every now and then to kind of almost move it to the next chapter, but I never really kind of got a full grasp of what he was going for with these kind of eye patch wearing, uh, witch like, uh, characters. And maybe it's a cultural thing, but 
I don't know if you got a grasp of it, but I never really did. Um, I don't know if I had a grasp. I mean, I, I felt like it was commentary on, they were very gossipy too. Right. Oh, so yeah, I think it true. felt like to me, this sort of older generation that was, hmm. um, uh, they were they were almost kind of stuck in the past, and a lot of the the old ways didn't serve the village well. You know, and you know they had sort of yeah this witchy look. I, I, I'm not articulating this the way I, it's sort of in my head, but I felt like it was just this village of of women that ultimately all they were doing was gossiping. Um, yeah, yeah. They were the elders, quote unquote, but really a lot of it was um, very reductive and. and troublesome mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um maybe they caused there's, there's a lot of speculation about the babies and the people in the village and you know so i have to that was kind of where i what i got from it um looking at the moment when he talks to his father in the cemetery through this oracle you know it kind of feels like this this flight of fancy or this this wish fulfillment in a way yeah right like he, he wanted to be able to communicate with his father somehow yeah um, yeah, because the father is never really, I guess it's kind of addressed in the beginning a little bit, but it's never really just a little bit though. Yeah. yeah, Just a little bit. And, uh, then it's kind of like the ghost of his father's kind of around with the clock and the house and yep. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that stuff's interesting too, because there's, um, uh, this fixation on clocks and there's several clocks. You see clocks bound up, you know, and I think obviously commentary on time again, and the perception of time and the inevitability of time marching on despite yeah. us trying to stop it or slow it down. Right. Which is a very human trait, right? So the, so it's, it's, it's interesting to me, the approach of not wanting to wear a wristwatch, his, his mom not wanting him to wear a watch to carry time around with him as if it's no good mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, that's an mm-hmm. interesting theory. Because really, if you don't wear a wristwatch and you're running around and everything else, you really have no perception of time and where to be and why to be there. Uh, maybe you did at some point with sundials and who knows what. I think Fred Flintstone wore a wrist uh, sundial, if I remember right. Yeah, I think so. Which is, you know, that's got to be historically accurate, right? Um, but, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that's an interesting concept, though, uh, how we're all slaves to time. I mean, all of us, even if we try not to be, all of us are because our lives are scheduled. Civilized life is a very scheduled controlled, um, aspect of, of, of humanity. So to not have that, I've often found it fascinating, like these tribes that still live in the jungles and stuff and they just go by sun up, sun down, you know? And, uh, you know, they probably don't even have days of the week. Which no. would probably, you know, blow my kids' minds, right? But, you know, yeah. it, it's it's one of those things that still fascinates me at 48 years of age. I still think about it all the time that, you know, it hasn't always been like this. So it's very interesting. I mean, I'm 48 years old, but am I 48 years old? By, That's right. By human construct standards, I'm 48 years old. <laughs> That's right. But maybe I'm no, only right, really, man. maybe I'm nothing years old. How about that? <laughs> There you go. That's what I'm going to choose to believe. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I think, listen, I mean, that's, we can go down a rabbit hole with this intellectually, intellectually and philosophically. Right. Well, yeah. Uh, I think that's this kind of movie that this movie is, it's kind of like when we did the last Jodorowsky, we did the, the dance of reality or whatever. I think it was, yeah. we did that one. Now there was a lot of good jokes that came out of that review because there's a lot of 
interesting material there. But there are some similarities too. There's some sexualization of the mother and and some some interesting things there. But there's also some stuff where you're it's dealing with time and youth and how you process things. And these films are the ideas are so big that really we could talk about them for three hours and probably still not come to a real conclusion. No, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I'll try to just touch on a few things quick here because, like you said, we could keep going on this one. I'm really thankful that my kids didn't walk in on the circus three th- threesome. Yeah, that would have been awkward. I mean, awkward. if you're going to have uh, one, that's a good place to have one. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I absolutely. I don't know what that means. Um, I, don't, I, I'm just, I said that out loud. I really don't even know what that means. But, I, I mean, I guess I, I guess when I think I of the circus. I know cir- what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. I guess when I think of the circus, first thing I think of is threesomes. I don't know. <laughs> See, there's a little, uh, there's a little there, there, Sammy. There are some circus Sammy. There are some uh, sexually charged moments throughout this movie. They're not. Um, what's the word? I, I wouldn't say they're vulgar or no. you know really explicit, but they're certainly uh, impactful moments. Yeah, yeah, and there there are certain moments of yeah, eroticism and not in like a conventional kind of skinamax way. Just no, I don't even know if erotic sexuality, I guess, more than eroticism. Yeah, um, the, the stuff that's kind of interesting from an erotic standpoint is there's a woman in a in a fat suit. Yeah, and she gets pumped up. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I don't know if that was a fixation on larger women, um, um, which yeah, is interesting I mean, considering Jodorowsky and Fellini both have this fixation with larger women. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, clearly the pump's you know, this, a, the pump is a metaphor, but I don't know. Yeah, I never Pumping really blowing, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes back to that. I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly what that was supposed to mean, uh, but I did find it very fascinating, and I found it also kind of fascinating uh, when she gets out of the suit. She's almost like a shell of herself. It's very, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. No, it's she almost she just loses herself. She kind of loses her way a little bit, and mm-hmm. and she does a good job with kind of a small performance i think there's you know it's a nice little turn um this film too reminds me of stuff you know all the stuff that i love that throws everything and the kitchen sink in stuff like louis mal's zazi obayashi's house and uh, chivitlova's uh daisies which we've coincidentally we've covered two out of those two out of three of those yeah um yeah so yeah that's, that's uh, the kind of that's the kind of films we're talking about here so again if yeah and and funeral uh um uh, what was that one we talked about? The you talked funeral for roses. Funeral parade of, Bro- funeral funeral parade of, parade of roses. Yeah. yeah, so that one's a good example too of yeah of the, these kinds of movies that uh, we it was sometimes that, it was that era, right? Yeah. Well, I th- yeah, I think people were pushing boundaries and pushing storytelling. You know, pushing storytelling and the medium. Yeah, trying things. Uh, this is yeah, before the, the medium was really being pushed. Yeah, and I think people were more open to it in the late '60s, early '70s, and they're certainly not as open to it now. But it still exists. I mean, there's still filmmakers doing this. Yep. Yep. No, for sure there is. Uh, I th- I want to applaud Teriyama for as much as he goes for very much like an avant-garde thing. There's moments when it's more conventional film mm-hmm. and it's striking to see he has a really strong sense of composition uh, and framing, even with the sort of conventional film stuff in this. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's just really cleanly. And I wouldn't call it Kubrickian necessarily, but it's very cleanly framed. Yeah. Um, now I wouldn't call it Kubrickian. Um, 
I can't think. I mean, obviously, Jodorowsky and Fellini come to mind, but Fellini liked to move the camera a lot. Jodorowsky, he, he kind of shot his stuff at a distance, and we kind of yep. put multiple people in frame. There's mm-hmm. something I, I don't know how I would describe Teriyama. Yeah, but it's it's weird. He's, he's kind of showing off his – without being showy, he's showing off his chops at different points. And we could even go down the rabbit hole and say, is the more conventionally framed stuff as handsome as it is? Is that commentary on the rigidity of adulthood? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, is it – who knows? I yeah. mean, this is a guy that, that's really playing with the medium, right? Like, it's yeah. – it's interesting. Um, I mean, the most the, stuff. some of the most Jodorowsky and stuff. Obviously, the carnival comes to mind, but yes, the scene where the son, or yeah, the son and his older self are playing. Oh man, the, where all the stuff's going on in the background. That is very Jodorowsky to me. I uh, love that scene. Yeah, because it's all kinds of stuff is going on with the narrative there. Uh, he's shooting it in wide shot. He'll eventually break into small shot of just the two of them. Three almost. Yeah, and then he'll break back yeah. out, and there'll be more stuff added into the frame. Almost like memories, all kind of jumping into the frame together. And there's this yeah. really weird and very cool kind of like matchbox moment, which looks like it looks like yeah. a like a matchbox, but there's like these prostitutes maybe or maybe showgirls coming out of this matchbox closet yeah, type thing. It's very strange. Burlesque kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. You've never you've, you've never seen anything like it. I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah. It's and again, I think because of his background as a poet, you know, there's there's some lines in this I really like. Like he talks about. He's kind of thinking about what he calls the cheap spectacle of his youth. Um, you know, he wonders about, he says, do you ever think our lives are built around the framework of our early days? And just, I think how the events of our, our youth do shape our perception of things, our relationships, and I mean, so many other things, right? So just interesting. Uh, one more technical thing I want to touch on quickly. He's got this amazing moment, and I'm sure you caught it. This amazing kind of John John Forty shot, where it starts in the interior and then it comes out into the expanse, and the second it comes out into the expanse, it shifts from black and white to color. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. <laughs> it, it's like a throwaway moment in the film, but I mean, from like a kind of technical standpoint, it's like man, that was fucking. Yeah. You know, he swung his dick on that one, and it looks really good. John Fordish, little little Wizard of Ozish, probably yeah. going on there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which I'm sure he had seen probably both of those. He'd probably seen some John yep. Ford films and probably had seen The Wizard of Oz because it seems like a lot of people had. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of little things in this. I guess if we keep going, I want to just give a shout out to the Japanese Amityville era James Brolin that makes a cameo in this as a lover of a woman. <laughs> Is that the guy that sings with the guitar? Yeah. He's yeah. the one that he shows up and he thinks he's going to have this girl, this woman. She's a guy of a lover, and he looks like the Japanese Amityville James Brolin. Yeah. He's got a great perm, a great beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. Um, pretty amazing. Uh, lots of kind of coastal town stuff, much like Fellini, like Eva Teloni, and you know, some of the stuff that harkens to you know, coastal towns. Um, I got to ask you, was salad tossing on a tatami mat on your bingo card this week? No, no, not that type of salad tossing on a bingo no. mat. <laughs> <laughs> not at all man uh, <laughs> um, yeah just lots of lots of really cool visual stuff I mean like I said I'm going to kind of pump the brakes here just because we can keep going um, interesting film lots of little nuggets whether it's sort of Japanese cultural iconography or stuff that's meant to it's very intimate and emotionally specific to Teriyama like her, his mother's brush or his mother's comb or all sorts of stuff. I just think there's a lot going on here for people that are willing to kind of 
let the medium be malleable for them. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It really is. Um, I like that word malleable because I mean that that's you know your form and your opinion kind of you know sticking your fingers in there and just kind of molding this film into what you could potentially want it to be or what you what it can mean to you. So I really like yeah. that. Um, all right, uh, let's get in, uh, make a break. MVTs then, I guess. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, MVTs pretty easy. It's Teriyama. I really can't mention. I mean, there's good performances here, but they're really all just kind of uh, puppets for Teriyama's kind of imagination yes. and uh, memories and stuff. Um, but yeah, I liked uh, I liked everybody in the movie. Nobody really uh, drove me crazy or nothing. Uh, even the mom, who's kind of uh, overbearing, but she's she's kind of sweet. I mean, she means the best it seems for her child, and she's just very protective of him. Uh, potentially because she lost her husband, maybe, uh, and she could be all alone. I, I don't know. That's just kind of my read on it. That's how I took it. Yeah, absolutely. Make, make a break. Uh, I'm gonna go with that scene I talked about uh, that I like so much. The scene of them playing what uh, I guess is supposed to be chess. Uh, at least they're using chess terms. It almost looks like that Asian game uh, Go. I, oh yeah, you know I didn't I didn't know what it was either. I, I first I thought chess, and then the pieces are like. Yeah, they're almost like the Go game. The, the, I don't think it's Mahjong. I don't know what it is, Yeah, to be honest with you. Because they are saying Rook and Knight, I think. But yeah, I, they I were. I they didn't were. see a Rook or a Knight, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But either way, the the point uh, of that scene, though, is is now he is explaining to his younger self kind of life's problems, life's you know solutions. And the whole time, these memories are kind of happening behind him. There's things like a haircut happening. There's the matchbox ladies coming out. There's some of the signs you see throughout the movie. There's just all kinds of stuff going on. There's characters just kind of walking away in the distance. There's just a lot to process in that one scene. And uh, I really liked it quite a bit. Um, there's a lot of good scenes in this movie, though. Uh, the scene in the beginning with the dead lady in the back of the cart being pulled across that thing. I mean, that's that's very Jodorowsky. And uh, I like that a lot, too. Uh, it doesn't really have any impact. It's just a really strong visual. And there's some really great visuals with mountains Agreed. and uh, half-naked women running oh, around. Oh, man. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, there is. Yeah. There is, forgive me, I said Mahjong, which is Chinese. I don't know. Shogi? I, I don't know what yeah, it yeah. is. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Point. Uh, last time I remember seeing a guy, I remember me and Todd did a film. I, I can't remember the name of the film off the top of my head. Um, Second Wind, maybe? Second uh, <laughs> Second Life? I, I, I can't remember. Second Wind. Who knows what it demon is? Demon wind. <laughs> demon wind. Yeah, we haven't done that one, um, or the wind for that matter. But yeah. uh, we did something, and they play go a lot, which was kind of like this black and white, uh, just kind of like little oval pieces, almost like Mentos, <laughs> black and white yeah. Mentos on a board. <laughs> anyway, um, a shame on me for not remembering, but that's the way life goes. Uh, I'm gonna give this movie eight out of ten. I think it's great. Uh, nice. I recommend it, but I would say I recommend it to only those who are adventurous and into this kind of filmmaking, avant-garde filmmaking. I think if you're not into avant-garde filmmaking, I don't think you're gonna get a whole lot out of this. Uh, other than nice. the images, I think you could you couldn't argue that the images aren't strong. They are. They are definitely that. Nice, nice. Well, pretty lockstep here. My make or break is that scene with his older self, his avatar, and the younger self playing that chess-like game. Um, I, I just it, It's really good for me. It kind of gets to the, the meat and potatoes of, of some of the stuff he just he's ruminating on in his life and in this film and how he uses this film as an essay to ruminate on that stuff. 
it just distills it right down, right? Yeah. Um, really good. It's almost like like a mini version of that scene in Hunger, that single take scene with um, Fassbender and the other actor when it's just like that like 20 minute scene. It's just you're gripped by it. And this was like a little bite sized version of that. Um, really fascinating. MVT, absolutely, Tiriyama. Um, it's it's this is his this is him through and through. He's not just the filmmaker. He is the subject. His life is the subject. Um, and it's a fascinating way to look at it. My score is just a touch higher than yours. It's an 8.25. Right. This is a really, really good film. You know, I wouldn't call it a masterpiece. I'd maybe say a minor masterpiece. Mm. Um, really interesting film that with the right uh, crowd, I think would really enjoy discussing it and uh, sort of seeing what they can chew on with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, we should give a shout out to to the final scene of the movie. We don't want to talk about it, right? But I mean, it's pretty mm-hmm. great. It's pretty great. <laughs> I, I liked it. I thought it was kind of funny and sweet and all those things kind of mixed together. But. It absolutely was. And I just want to say shout out to CDR. Oh, okay. And I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. There we go. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's our thoughts on Pastoral. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com Thank you.